So Luke 2.14, the angel said, peace on earth and, well, that was really exciting. <laughs> Good will for all men. Okay, let's do it again. The angel said, peace on earth and peace, peace. The Christmas season is about peace. Jesus came to establish peace. God sent Jesus for, for peace. And, you know, it's a really cool season. It's a season where we do have, there's a spirit of generosity. There is a spirit of peace. People, you know, we, it's a season where someone can stand in front of the places where we shop and ring a bell asking for money. And oftentimes we will give that person money just out of a sense of generosity. It's a time of year that, you know, I've had this happen where your car may break down. Mine did once, side of the road, and someone pretty sketchy drives up and stops. And I'm feeling like, okay, here we go. This, something bad is about to happen. And that person who looks really sketchy gets off, they're a Harley is what they're riding, and says, how can I help you? Because there's just a spirit of, and it's just this generosity can kind of, you know, it's, it's just contagious, and it's not everywhere. Clearly, it's not everywhere, but it seems to be more prevalent during this season. Buddy, the Christmas elf. You guys know what I'm talking about? Best Christmas movie of all time. I don't care. Don't talk to me about Miracle on 34th Street or whatever. You know, Buddy is the best. Buddy says, what does he say? The best way to spread Christmas cheer is? You guys did that better than the verse. Singing that buddy, the angel, eh, buddy though, yeah. <laughs> so singing loud for all to hear. There is this season, <laughs> season of Christmas spirit and peace, and it's awesome because God sent Jesus to bring peace on earth. He really did. And peace, you know, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace isn't the, you could have two people fighting, physically fighting, and a group of other people grab those two people and pull them apart to where they cannot be physically fighting anymore. You don't call that peace. That's not peace. Peace is not the absence of fighting. Peace is the presence of goodwill. Peace is the presence of goodwill. So reconciliation, which is what God brought to us through Jesus, at Christmas. Reconciliation is the restoration of a relationship founded on goodwill towards one another. The restoration of a relationship founded on goodwill towards one another. I was a pretty good kid. You know, I, was, I didn't really drink, I didn't really do drugs, and I wasn't really popular with girls, so that wasn't an issue, you know. But, you know, I, I, did, I, had, I was that classic Gen X. I had very little supervision in my teen years. No curfew, and I really liked cars. And, you know, I, you know so I, I, I was a good kid, but, you know, I, I had a lot. I had way too much freedom. And so on one of those weekends back in the, I'll not say what year it was because I sometimes I'm beginning to feel my age. But, you know, on one of those weekends where we had a major ice storm, like a huge ice storm, the kind that drops, you know, an inch sheet of ice everywhere. Um, I thought, you know, my, I, I thought, you know, what, what's really awesome to do on the ice? Donuts, right? 
That's like really awesome to do on the ice because they're hard to do in a you know, regular car unless you, you know, get a really powerful car, which I didn't. But, you know, donuts on the ice are great. And my dad was a really kind of crazy car kid when he was a teenager. And so I, call, I was like, Dad, hey, I'm going to go out. You know, can I go out on the whatever? And he's like, sure, go ahead. And he let me take his car. <clears throat> That's foreshadowing. Um, so I go meet my other friend who didn't have a curfew either, and we're doing donuts on the ice, and we're like, woo, it's awesome, it's so great, you know, and like most teenagers, I overestimated my ability to control the car, and I go sliding across the parking lot, we were at least in a parking lot, right? So we go sliding across the parking lot, <clears throat> bam, into the curb, both, both just sideways into the curb, and we all just stop. This is my, it's a, my dad's new car, all right? It was new. And I was thinking, okay, maybe it's not that bad. <laughs> so put it in gear, drive out of the parking lot, and the car's doing this on the way home. Yeah, two bent wheels and a bent axle. Later, I get home. Thousands of dollars of damage. Not two days later. Again, I don't know why my parents let me do these things, but I needed to get to church, as at least going to church, right? Well, I go get in my own car to go to church, and I do a driving into the parking lot because I was there early, and there was no, the parking lot had not been driven on, and so I go to stop, and what do I do? I go slamming into the car ahead of me, and I wreck my car too. $1,000 worth of damage, bam, two days. You know, had never been in a wreck before. I'd had one ticket. I've only had one speeding ticket hope that stays, but I, I, so I, two days I have these accidents that cost thousands of dollars worth of damage to my car and my dad's car. I was in a little bit of trouble. <laughs> I'd never, this is the only time, believe it or not, this is the only time when I was, that I was grounded as a teenager. Rightfully so, right? My mom, my mom was really mad, all right? She was like real mad, and my mom is the kind of mad, she gets the kind of mad where it's like the whole temperature in the house rises, but the silence, it's like there's no air, it's like a burning vacuum, I don't know how that works, but it's just, you know, so anyway, so I didn't have keys, there, were no car, there was no car to drive in the first place, but like I was grounded, so, so here's the deal. A few days later, um, I'm feeling like a dog still. Because, I mean, I, yeah, I don't have the money to pay for this damage. I mean, my, my dad's having to shell out several thousand dollars of money to repair the cars because of my stupidity. And I'm feeling horrible still. And so my dad had a rental car from the place that was fixing his car. And I knew things were going to be okay the day that he was driving me somewhere. And this is like maybe a week later. He's driving me somewhere in the rental car. And he says... He looks over at me, and he says, watch this. <laughs> and he starts doing donuts in the rental car because it's a rental. You know, and he's like doing these power slides, and I was like, hey, we're good again. You know, we're good. Our relationship had been restored. It was, it was we, were, we were reconciled. I mean, my dad was, he was cool about it. He was a crazy driver when he was a kid. He got it. He understood that, you know, hey, parenting, you know, children just cost a lot of money, Right. That's just the deal. And he understood it. It's just like the cost of doing business. You know, you lose inventory, you have accidents, you know, that kind of stuff. Just the cost of doing business. Children just cost a lot of money, so, you know, I'm going to spend a lot of money. on it. He, he just let it go, you know, and we were good. Mom, mom, not so much, you know. I don't think she talked to me for like a month, you know, which is not all that bad, honestly. But, you know, <laughs> but 
we wound up getting fined, you know, and that was really the worst trouble that I got in as a teenager. But that's a really good illustration of like the whole idea of a restoration of a relationship versus just toleration after a conflict. You know, I was, me and my dad were good. Mom tolerated me in the house, you know. And what God brings to us is he brings to us reconciliation. He wants to restore the relationship through a spirit of goodwill towards one another. Let me read a verse for us. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The verse before this, Paul says, Behold, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Uh, That's the verse right before this. Then he says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ God making his appeal through us, we implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, one who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The doctrine of reconciliation is one of the most important overarching doctrines of the Bible. In the, in the doctrine of reconciliation, it's established that, that God sent Jesus to restore the relationship because the relationship between God and man was broken because of sin. And so God, in this reconciliation, he chose to give up his rights of judgment. Because in reconciliation, someone always has to offer, give up their rights. And God gave up his rights, and it says that he didn't hold our sin against us anymore. Well, how did he do that? He did that because Jesus, the only one of us ever to go without sin, the only one of us ever, he made Jesus take all of the sin of the entire world. And I've been kind of emotional this morning because of some stuff I'm going to talk about here in a minute having to do with race and reconciliation. Because there's been so much evil done in the world in the name of race and power. And thinking about the fact that when Jesus, he's, this, he's pure. He's done nothing wrong. In fact, he's only done good. Never had malice. Only love. Jesus, God poured into Jesus every rape, every murder, every hanging. Every unjust war, every lie, every 
outburst of anger, every thought of lust, everything that any of us have ever done, any sin that any of us have ever committed, God poured that into Jesus. And he took it upon himself, and he paid the price for our sins. Because we couldn't. God wanted to reestablish our relationship, restore it based on goodwill. And the only way for that to happen was for someone else to pay the price. And that's what Jesus did for us. But that's, I mean, it makes sense that Paul would say, be reconciled. And I just want to stop for a minute. Because if you have not yet understood the grace of God to the point where you've trusted in Jesus and you have had your relationship with God restored, let me just encourage you, like Paul, be reconciled to God. Everything you've ever done, Every sin you've ever committed, it doesn't matter who you've, what you've done, it doesn't matter who you've been with, it doesn't matter any of that stuff, it doesn't matter. Jesus took it all and he paid the price so that you could be recon reconciled to God. Today, if you've never done that, today is a great day to do that. Trust him. So in biblical reconciliation, here's how it worked. As we've talked about for this season, God approached us. You know, with Jesus, Jesus, he put on flesh. We've talked about it. It's the, the incarnation and that he put on flesh and he, ca he came to us. And as I've stated, God was willing to give up his rights. Because the wages of sin is death. But he gave up his rights for judgment and he took all the damages himself because we couldn't pay. But God goes beyond forgiveness because there's, there's a, we all know what it's like when someone tolerates us after we've done something wrong. And that's not what God is offering here in reconciliation. God goes beyond tolerance beyond forgiveness and he offers to restore us through what's called justification justification is a judicial term back then and it is if a, as if a judge it's not it, the judge just doesn't say to the criminal well you're guilty but you're going to get away with it we forgive you that's not what justification is. Justification is when the judge hits the hammer on the gavel, or hits the gavel and says, you're innocent. You don't have anything wrong with you. We elevate you. Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through justification, God has declared you innocent. 
And your relationship with him, if you've trusted in Jesus, has been restored. And there is a spirit of goodwill. God likes you. And for some of us, that's so hard to understand. God not only loves you and tolerates you, he likes you. He has good will extended towards you. Through justification, we also have the, the uh, doctrine of adoption, that God has adopted us into his own family. He, we, we, this is how we call him father. He adopts us into his family, and Jesus is, this is biblical, Jesus is our adopted spiritual brother. We're in his family. That is restoration. And that is why Paul says to be reconciled. It's so good to be reconciled. He also says in this verse, he says uh, in 2 Corinthians, that God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And in verse 20, he says we are ambassadors for Christ. So in essence, he's saying, look, God has done this for you. This is biblical reconciliation. All right, now do what God did. Live in the same way. Represent God's interests. Represent his character. Be his ambassador. So we are first and foremost to be people of grace. And you know, I'm not talking about anyone in particular in this room or even this church, but I do feel necessary to say this, that our Protestant Western Christian world is just not real good at the whole grace thing. We just don't do that very well for some reason. We never have, and I don't know why. But we're to be people of grace. It's the cost of doing business. People of grace are not easily offended. People of grace don't get bothered by the details of other people's lives. We just, we're just, it's really hard and hard to offend us. And in this world where outrage is just something that we feel like we have a button on our phone, it's the outrage button that we need to push all the time, let's just stop pushing that button. And in fact, you know, well, I always dog, I always dog on social media. If you're not a person of grace on social media, you should probably just delete your account because you're shouting your stuff around the world. And we're to be people of grace. Weddings are one of those things that really trip up a lot of pastors. And I don't really understand why. <clears throat> there are some pastors who will absolutely not marry a couple that's been living together. And, you know, do I condone cohabitation? No, I don't. There's a better way. Uh, but the thing is that if, if someone is living together and they want to get married and they have a healthy relationship, if they have a relationship based on love and respect, why would I not want them to move towards God in that way and by, by helping them get married? And there are some pastors who just draw this line, no, we will not do it. And I, it just doesn't make any sense to me. We're to be people and people, we're to be agents of grace. I had a friend of mine who had been uh, living with um, her fiance for years. And they had a kid together. And they, I mean, they demonstrated stability. And, I mean, they were, they were great people. And after a while, I mean, she's not really a church person at all, but I just said, hey, you know, if you guys wanted to go ahead and do the marriage thing, I would be happy to help you do that. I would love to. Let me help you move towards that. 
And the wedding was this really simple, beautiful thing, but it was like part of being an agent of grace is helping people move exactly from where they are, not from where we want them to be. You know, agents of grace, a number of years ago, uh, it, was the Grammy, it was the Grammys where the Grammys' uh, cause that year was gay marriage. And I have no interest in talking about gay marriage right now. This is not about that. But that was the Grammy that year that Madonna was on stage, and she was dressed in all white. Kind of, she looked like Colonel Sanders. You guys know, remember that one? You know what I'm talking about? And I think she had a back problem, too, so she was, like, real stiff walking around like Colonel Sanders. And so, anyway, so that Grammy, and, and during, so, of course, I mean, this is, this is just our culture. Our culture's behind this issue, and, and, and Madonna's not a Christian. And so Madonna's all into this issue, and it was really interesting. Right after the Grammys were over, there's a really prominent pastor here in Dallas um, with thousands of people on his Twitter and Facebook feed who just pulled out a blowtorch and just went after Madonna. Which I'm sure Madonna, I mean, Madonna has one name. I'm sure she really cares about what this guy says, you know. You know she's so, but, but it just was so unbecoming. Why would we do that? We are to be agents of grace. And again, social media is just not the place for that. Also in being agents of grace and being ambassadors uh, of reconciliation, it's actually in sharing the gospel. And I just want to encourage you guys, we are entering into a season where we are highly encouraging our church to become outward focused and begin sharing the gospel with your neighbors and the people in your life who aren't Christians. And sharing, sharing the gospel is a part of being an ambassador for reconciliation. And so is being a peacemaker. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5, he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called sons of God. We're to be peacemakers. So, you know, it's really not, it's, anytime you talk about reconciliation, you, you need to address race. Otherwise, it's just kind of not, it's just kind of not honest, you know, because we need to address it. And I've struggled with this because I'm a white guy from Allen. And, and so I've struggled with this, and as I've thought about it, God brought to my attention something that happened this last summer. We were on vacation, and we were playing a game with my, my, my wife and I were playing a game with my son Caldwell and my daughter Eden. My son Zane was doing something else. And in the game, I don't exactly remember how it came up, but the KKK somehow came up as we were sitting there talking. You know, the terrorist organization, the white sheep people. And this KKK came up, and my son, he didn't know anything about it, and so we start talking about it, and we get pretty dis descriptive. We tell him what they've done in history and how they've, the violence that they've committed and the things that they've done in the name of race and power. And we're just talking, you know, and he starts crying. And he doesn't just start crying. He gets he starts crying inconsolably, bawling. And we're, I mean, I'm trying to understand because it just, we're talking about the subject, and then he says in the middle of this, 
inconsolable crying. He says, I'm scared that they're going to come for Zay. You see, my family, two of my children are adopted. And my oldest son is brown. He's not Anglo at all. He doesn't look like me. His skin is much darker than mine. And my middle son understood. He connected the dots, and it terrified him that these people would still do this evil. And I had to back up, because I'd never thought about it before, and I was pretty embarrassed about that, actually. But as I internalized this issue, and I started thinking about it, if any of those guys in their white, those cowards in their white suits showed up at my house burning a cross, if any of those guys tried to take my son and harm him, be a dangerous person. And the thing is that that happened. That happened to people. We are one generation removed from segregation. You may have been in a school where you were the first black people to ever go to that school. You may have been in a school and you remember the first time that African Americans were a part of the school and you may remember the tension then. We're one generation removed. And I had such respect for Martin Luther King Jr. I know the guy wasn't perfect. But there was, a, when, the, when the buses in Montgomery, Alabama were, were uh, desegregated, he wrote a letter, 16 suggestions for riding the buses. And in this letter, it was all about being courteous and polite, nonviolence. And he says this, he says that, he says to remember that desegregation is not just a win. It's not just good for, for black people, but that it's good for all of Montgomery and all of the South. Martin Luther King Jr. understood that racism is prison for the racist. And he chose to love. In this letter, he said, be loving enough to absorb evil and understanding enough to turn an enemy into a friend. That is love. And that's how reconciliation happens. Nelson Mandela is one of my heroes, and I don't have a lot of heroes. And again, I know the guys wasn't perfect. But he was in prison for 27 years. Prison, and not a good prison. The majority of that time he spent breaking rocks. 
And when he was released from prison in 1990, he came out and he said, if you want to make peace with your enemy, you have to work with your enemy. Then he becomes your partner. And in the next four years, they had the first true elections in South Africa, which should have ended in a bloodbath. Because 80 to 90% of the population's population was black. And it, this is what normally happens. In fact, this is maybe the only country where there's not been a bloodbath because Nelson Mandela designed these truth and reconciliation commissions, the truth and reconciliation commission. And in, he provided a space for people to come and address the people who had killed their family members or who had injured them in order to hear the story and to offer forgiveness. And no, it wasn't perfect. And no, South Africa is not a perfect place, but it wasn't a bloodbath. We overcome evil with good. We overcome evil with love. I have such respect for those men because they suffered so greatly and they chose love. So when it comes to race, proceed gently. Proceed gently. Because wise people hold widely different views of the issue of race relations. Wise people hold widely different views. We're one generation removed. You know, in West Dallas, um, they are still finding lead and pieces of lead-acid batteries from the factory that was put in the African-American community over there that poisoned the land. It was closed when I was a teenager. That wouldn't have happened in Plano. We are one generation removed. I have a friend who is just as educated as I am. He is just as smart as I am, probably smarter. He is he is a pastor and a very good pastor, and he tells me stories. He's African-American. He tells me stories of riding his bike. He was a cyclist, all right? He's in the years of Greg LeMond, all right? So he's a cyclist. He is riding a 10-speed racing bicycle through Highland Park, and he has, tells me stories of being pulled over Numerous times by cops saying, you don't belong here. I've ridden my, I, I rode to my bike to work for about four years through Highland Park, and I never once was talked to by a police officer for anything. Wise people hold widely different views of this subject. There is a reason, and I'm not condoning it or condemning it. All I'm saying is that there is a reason that Black Lives Matters exists. There is a reason. And like I said, I'm not condoning it or condemning it. Proceed gently. Because wise people hold very differing views. In moving forward, actual relationships matter. Actual friendships make the difference. I had a friend um, 
again, at the time, he, he's older than I am, uh, more educated than I was, more capable as a leader and a manager than I was, um, but he was from a different country, and that country's economy completely fell apart, and he came to the United States illegally, trying to get a better life for his family, and he took a menial job here, and he was illegal. And as I became friends with this person, I have great respect for him. And I'll tell you what, I hope that I would do the same thing. Actual relationships will change the way you view your black and white issues. And again, I'm not saying one way or the other about the political issue. But what I know is that my friend worked so hard to help his family. And he did. And I have such respect for him. And I'm glad he did it. Actual friendships make a world of difference. And so my question is, do you have friends, people that you consider to be equals? Not token friends, but people that you consider to be actual friends, equals, that are from a different demographic. Most of us do, I think. But if, if you don't have friends, true friends who are from a different demographic than you, why not? Well, see, the thing is that we naturally segregate. It's what we naturally do. We naturally pull, to be, pull apart to be with the people that we are like. But see, what Jesus calls us to do is Jesus calls us to be ambassadors of reconciliation. This is part of our call, to be agents of grace in this cultural issue right now. Proceed gently and make friendships gently. You know, I'm a... I'm a good old boy from Texas. I know that. You know, I've driven trucks and, you know, pretty, pretty blue-collar upbringing. Um, and I know that if I, I know that if I can have friends who are completely across, who speak different languages than I do, I know that it's possible for any of us to do it. So this season, the issue of reconciliation is all over us. Because this, in this Christmas season, we want our, you know, we get our families together, and sometimes we have family tension, right? Sometimes we have, and, and it's just, it's just not that great. It's better to have no family tension, but it's there. And so, personal reconciliation is a part of our call to be agents of reconciliation. And so, personal rec uh, personal reconciliation requires that someone must always give up their rights for that reconciliation to happen. This is called forgiveness. Let me read a couple of verses, and I just want you to listen to them, and listen to the seriousness in Jesus' Jesus's tone. He says in Matthew chapter 6, If you forgive others their sin, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sin, neither will your Father forgive yours. Matthew 5, the other side of the issue. He says, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser, while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison, I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last cent. 
God, God has shown us how reconciliation works. And on personal terms, God takes it really seriously. And that if we have not forgiven others, we have to. And the thing is that unforgiveness hurts us. The person who hangs on to bitterness is always more damaged than the person who is being unforgiven. And he takes it seriously when we have offended others. These are serious issues to God. And so is it awkward? Yeah, it's real awkward. But if you find someone that has something against you, if you remember that someone has something against you, it would be wise to make an apology. They don't have to accept it. Remember, reconciliation is the restoration of goodwill. It's the restoration of goodwill if you have unforgiveness towards someone. Offer to them your spirit of goodwill. That is reconciliation. That is the beginning of the process. I'd love to go much further into this, but it's like a sermon and completely into itself. But personal reconciliation is the least we can do, given what God has done for us. Someone must always be willing to give up their rights. And when needed, restitution should be paid. Now, restitution doesn't provide reconciliation. Because you can force someone to provide restitution and there still will be no goodwill. Restoration of a relationship always depends upon forgiveness. Forgiveness. And the thing is that Jesus showed us how to do that. Remember all of the evil of the world. We put it all on him. And he didn't deserve any of it. He was willing to do the cost of business and pay our sins. The least we can do is offer forgiveness and to try to establish goodwill, especially at this time. At the time of the year when the angel said, peace on earth and peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Let me read this scripture in closing. Colossians 1.19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on heaven or in earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus was born to bring peace. Peace between us and God, peace between us and one another. We're going to go ahead and do the offering now. If you ushers would go ahead and get ready, let's pray together. Um, and I want to encourage you guys as we're doing that. Be reconciled. Be reconciled. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for caring for us, for sacrificing for us. Father, I pray that we would honor you by carrying your ambassadorship with us. Help us to love. Help us to have goodwill towards other people. Help us to establish grace and live in a way that is so difficult to offend.
Father, we thank you that you allow us to join you and be a partner with you as you share your truth with the world. And so, Father, we pray that you bless our offering so that we as a church can be agents of reconciliation. And Father, thank you for this season where you said peace on earth. Your angels told us peace on earth, goodwill towards all in whom you are well pleased. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.